So it falls on me to talk about propitiation. That's a big word. The totality of what Jesus did on the cross, it's difficult to explain. So they almost had to invent a word for it called propitiation. I know it's a really hard word to say too. I'm going to do my very best to try to explain this, but there's a lot of pieces to this, so you're going to have to bear with me as I walk you through the Old Testament right up to when Jesus was crucified. Let's start in Romans 3, 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through the faith in Jesus Christ for all who, sh for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you move me out of the way, that you allow me to give this message to anybody who needs to hear it and do it in a way that they can understand and grasp everything you did on the cross, Jesus. In your name, amen. So I want you to get a vision in your mind of a judge, a judge's courtroom. A 16-year-old comes into the courtroom, committed a heinous act. And he stands in front of the judge, sobbing, asking for forgiveness. He says he doesn't know what happened. He doesn't even know how he ended up where he was at or how this act happened. And he swears that it'll never happen again. And he swears, if you let me go, I'll never do it again. So the judge has two choices. The judge can say, take the cuffs off of him and let him go. If the judge did that, He's not a fair or just God. He's not a fair or just judge. They would ask for him to be kicked off the bench. They would kick him completely out of the courtroom because there's consequences to actions. On the other side, he could sentence him to death because it was a heinous act. But he's a 16-year-old boy. Again, it's a horrible choice to take. This is a choice that God had to decide between two options. Forgiving us for a heinous act and letting us go or sentencing us to what we deserved. The wages of sin is death. So God had a plan to resolve this situation from the very beginning before he ever created anything, this plan was put into place. I'm going to try to walk you through this to explain the pieces 
of what Jesus did. The word propitiation comes from actually two different words. The word expiation, which means to amend or to atone for. And it also comes from a Greek word called helisterion, which means to cover. So when we put the two of them together, what you end up with is propitiation. It's to make favorable by a covering to avert God's wrath against sinners in totality. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament was kaporeth, which means to cleanse and remove. This was a word that was used for sacrifice. It basically talks about the mercy seat. When sacrifice was done, the blood would pour it on the mercy seat, and that's the covering of the ark. And propitiation includes that covering. But to really understand what happened here, we have to understand the character of God. Just like that judge, he's a just God. And there's consequences to sin. From the very beginning, he told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you'll die. He didn't lie. They died. There was, from that moment on, every human being was destined for hell. Because that's the consequence of sin, is hell. Not because God wants to send you there, but because he's a just and holy God. And in order for him to be a just and holy God, there must be consequences for your actions. But I want you to truly understand this. So I come up with an analogy that I think fits pretty well. I moved here from Florida. And in Florida, we don't have a whole lot of skunks. In Kentucky, you guys got a lot of skunks. You walk into your backyard and you smell a skunk, he could be 50 yards away, and you know there's a skunk near you. Sin smells the same way to God. One little lie, and it's an abomination to God. One thing he told you not to do, you do. It's horribly smelly to God. But see, like we know here in Kentucky, the little skunk smells just as bad as the big skunk. So the little sin, the little sin smells just as bad as the big sin. So God, being a just and holy God, couldn't be around sin, but he wanted to have a relationship with each and every one of you. Because he's a merciful, compassionate, and loving God who wants to be our father. So he came up with this idea called propitiation. And he started the process way back with Adam and Eve. And I'm going to go through one at a time and I'm going to show you what he did. Because he wanted this to be fair. So as through, we went through the Old Testament, he was actually being fair to another creation of his, the devil. He gave him clues from the very beginning of exactly what he was going to do with Jesus and the devil was too blind to look at it. The first one we see in Genesis 3.21, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they were covered with sin, he initiated a sacrifice of an animal to cover them. He did it. Adam and Eve didn't ask for it. He did it because he wanted to continue a relationship with Adam and Eve. So he sacrificed an animal, poured their blood out, so that he could have a temporary covering over Adam and Eve 
and have a relationship with us. In Leviticus, we see Abram sacrificing animals to build a covenant with his people and God. And we see in this example where blood is used to build a connection between man and God, a lasting covenant. The word used is called self-maledation, which means to put curse upon yourself if you don't fulfill your actions. God made a covenant with Abraham that he would stand by his word upon his own soul and Abram's soul. We move on to Exodus with the final plague. God tells Moses, tell each family to take a lamb and sacrifice it. Put the blood on the lentils of the door to protect them from what's coming, the angel of death. What we see here from propitiation is the first time that man was given an option. They were given a choice. These families didn't have to slaughter the lamb. They didn't have to do anything. But they were given a choice to trust God and take his blessing or die. Then we move on to Leviticus. And I'm going to go through some passages from Leviticus for me. And I picked these specifically because they point to propitiation. In Leviticus 5, 9, we see, Then he shall sprinkle some blood of the sin offering in the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. So we put it on the right side and the left side, and then poured the rest out. Leviticus 6, 6 through 7 says, And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock. With your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest, so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespassed. And then on to 26, it says the priest who offers the sin offering will eat of it in a holy place. It shall be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. These pieces of propitiation are a blemish-free lamb. Jesus was perfect and sin-free in every way. He was the perfect lamb, never committed a sin, never did anything wrong. He was the perfect lamb. All of his blood was drained out. Every single drop was drained out for you and for me and the whole world. And just earlier today, here in this church, we did communion. And churches all around the world, they do communion where they eat of the body and the blood. Just like it says, the priest shall eat it in the tabernacle. We see propitiation in all these things. But I'm going to move on to one more. Yom Kippur. It's a Jewish celebration where a lamb is slaughtered for the sins of the community for one year. And it happens every year. In Leviticus 16, 7 through 10, it says, He shall take the two goats 
and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. One lot will be for the Lord and the other lot for a scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat shall be presented alive and let go into the wilderness. Sound familiar? We see six pieces in these passages about who Jesus is and what propitiation is all about. It had to be an offering of God. It had to be 100% from God. It had to be initiated by God. It had to be started by God. It had to be fulfilled by God. And just like Brent told us last week, Jesus was the only one who was 100% God. It also had to be a son of man because it had to be a free will choice to sacrifice himself and give himself for forgiveness of the sins for, to sate the wrath of God. So he had to be 100% man as well. So he had to be both 100% God and 100% man. It had to be a blood offering where you put blood on the right-hand side and you put blood on the left-hand side and you poured it out at the foot of the cross. Jesus is the altar. It had to be without blemish, a perfect lamb. And it had to have a scapegoat. And in Pontius Pilate's court, we see that he offered Jesus a Barabbas. And the people chose Barabbas as their scapegoat. And we see that the priest eats of the sacrifice every time we do communion. You see, from the very beginning, God had a plan. And he showed everyone, including the devil, what he had in store. The first in Genesis was one lamb for one person. In Exodus, it was one lamb for one household. In Leviticus, it was one lamb for a whole nation with Yom Kippur. But in John 1.29, it was one lamb for the whole world. See, he is by his own choice and for our sakes, priest and sacrifice, mediator and gift, propitiatory sacrifice to turn away the wrath of God as a just judge meant for our sins. He is a perfect blemish-free sacrifice whose blood covers us all and makes us righteous for all eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for letting us tell everyone about your wonderful gift. Lord, may you continue with Pastor Paul. Amen. So what does all this incredible information mean to you? Here's what it means. John 19 and 30 says, It uh, is uh, 
finished. It is finished. I just want to break down just those three words for you today. What is it? It is the plan of salvation. It is the plan that began before the beginning of time. It is the reconciliation of man to God. It is the bridge that crosses the chasm that couldn't be crossed. It is the key to the prison door. It is the thing that breaks the chains. It is the thing that brings the dead to life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. That's the is. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the it. But what's the is? Man, is has power. Is talks about when. Is talks about where. Is talks about state. And in this instant, is means right here, right now. Not before, not after, right here, right now. It is. It is. Where, oh sin, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your power? Victory is in Christ Jesus. And on the cross, it was overwhelmed and destroyed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then there's that last word. Come on. There's that last word up there. The word is finished. It means completion. It means once and for all time. What the blood of bulls and goats could never do, Jesus Christ did now and forever. Can you say amen? Hebrews 10 says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It is finished. It can't be taken back. It can't be undone. It's done. It's finished. It's over. The victory is won. The plan has come to completion. Everything is as it should be. And it was over. Or was it? Here's my question. Was the death of Jesus Christ enough? I used to think it was. I used to think it was. I thought that the death of Christ was enough. But now I don't think so anymore. I don't think the death of Jesus was enough. I think if Jesus stayed dead, we'd still be dead. I think if Jesus stayed dead, then we'd still be dead. I think if Jesus never came back to life, then neither do we. I think that if Jesus hadn't approved to us that he had the keys of sin and death in his hands, then we would still be dead in our sins. Can somebody say amen? Because 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says this. Oh, no, hang on. That comes later. 1 Corinthians 15 and 14 says... And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. See, if he stayed in the grave, then this means nothing. If he stayed in the grave, then he's just some guy. If he stayed in the grave, you know, it's like Brent preached about last week, man. If he stays in the grave, then one life is good enough for one life, like the first lamb that was given, right? If he stays in the grave, then he can cover one, maybe. 1 Corinthians 15 and, and 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 
the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. Can you give God a shout of praise for that truth right here at the Way Church today? Because he didn't stay dead. Yeah, Jesus Christ gave his life as the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ poured out blood on the right and blood on the left. And through that spear, blood all through the bottom of the cross. I love that, man. I love that. And then they took his body off the cross. And they laid it in a borrowed tomb. And they rolled the stone in front of it. And like we'll talk about on Good Friday night here in a few weeks, that was the darkest day there ever was in the history of mankind. And the devil thought that he had won. And the disciples were defeated. And you'll hear about that when they walk along the Emmaus Road. They're like, you didn't hear what happened. We thought he was a prophet. We thought that he came to save our kingdom and our lives. We thought that he came to set everything straight. And he was walking there beside them going, oh my gosh. Uh, don't you guys know anything? And on the third day, on the third day, the women, thank God for the women. Somebody give God praise for the women. On the third day, the women went to the tomb to finish preparing the bodies. You know why? Because the men didn't do it right. Somebody say amen. So they had to go redo the whole thing. But praise God for them. Because on Sunday morning, they went to redo what somebody had already done not the right way. And when they got there, they found the stone rolled away. Somebody say amen. They found the stone rolled away and then they went in to look for their king, to look for their savior. Because see, they weren't ready to give up yet. Them fellows on the road to Emmaus, they done given up, man. But these ladies, they weren't ready to give up just yet. Because, you know, when a woman gets something in her head, she's going to do it. Amen. She's going to do it. And so, and so they went in to look for Jesus. And Jesus wasn't there. And they got all distraught and discombobulated. And then there was a guy that's standing there in shining white brilliance. And he said to them, why in the world... Would you come to seek the living uh, among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Can you say amen? amen? Yes, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Do you receive that today? Jesus Christ rose for your life, your forgiveness, and your eternity. Can somebody, somebody give him some praise at the Way Church today because that's who he is. And because he came to life so we can come to life too. Can you imagine that first breath back to life? He's been dead three days. His body laying there for three days. He's been laying in that tomb in the dark, in, in alone in the arid climate, no life in him at all. And then all of a sudden on that Sunday morning, man, the power of God. Somebody say the power of God, the power of God. which comes in his breath. 
Yeah, Ruah HaKodesh means the holy breath of God. We translate it as Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. So that Ruah HaKodesh comes from heaven, comes from heaven and, and breathes into this body that had been beaten, that had been mutilated, that had been hung on a cross. And, and the same way that he died, get, get this, get this, you might not realize this. You know that Jesus Christ died from asphyxiation, right? Which is a fancy way to say he suffocated to death. He died not from the nails. He died not from the beating, not from the blood loss. He, he, he died because he couldn't breathe. And even still, as we'll talk about on Good Friday, even still that he couldn't catch his breath, he managed to give us those seven last sayings of Christ. Can somebody say amen? Because that's the kind of God that he is. He used his last bit of breath for you and not for himself. He could have managed to stay alive a little longer if he didn't have some stuff to say, but he needed to tell you some things with his last few breaths, so that's what he did. But then he died from asphyxiation. He died because he couldn't breathe. So his, his last act of life was to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then it says he breathed his last. And that's the last thing Jesus did. He breathed his last. But then three days later... He breathed his first, uh, the first breath of the resurrection, the first breath of the first fruit of the promise of God, the first breath of the first fruit of the victory that had been promises before the beginning of time, the first breath of the first fruit that it talked about in Genesis 3 when it said the offspring of the woman, here we go again, the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And you know what he did when he took that first breath? The serpent's head was crushed. Can somebody say amen? Hell went into DEFCON 4. The devil started panicking. The, the, the war room in Satan's kingdom started going crazy. What are we going to do? And the demons just threw up their hand and said, you know, devil, there ain't nothing we can do now. There ain't nothing we can do. Because the firstborn of all creation claimed back what he had laid down. You know, that's what he says in the book of John, right? He says, nobody take my life from me. I laid it down so that when the time is right, I can take it back up again. Can somebody say amen? Jesus Christ died. Died to be the offering for your sin. First, it was one lamb for one person. I love what, what Pastor Vince said. Then it was one lamb for one family. Then it became one lamb for the entire nation of Israel. And then, 2,000 years ago, on a hill called Calvary, a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, it became one perfect lamb. One perfect lamb for every person that has ever lived, for every person that's alive now, for every person that will ever live because his blood is that perfect, it's that potent, it's that powerful, and propitiation was possible only through Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? And then, just to prove it was true, just to prove it was true, he came walking out of that grave because he had the keys to sin and death in his hands. In his hands. And he came to life again. And because he lives, so can we. Because he lives, so do we because I want you guys to know this my brother's favorite verse in the whole Bible it's not me that lives anymore 
but Christ that lives in me. Can somebody say amen? Saw somebody post on social media the other day, where you'd be, where would you be without Jesus? I'll tell you where I would be. I'd be in torment. Waiting on hell. Nobody's in hell yet. I don't want to try to get into a bunch of crazy theological stuff right now, but I'd be in a place of torment waiting on my date with hell. That's where I'd be if it wasn't for Jesus right now. I know that I'd be dead. I know that I would be dead. I know that I would. There is no mistakes about it. There, there, there is no argument. There's no discussion. I would be dead and waiting on hell right now if not for Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be up here, you know, proclaiming the blessing that God has given us through our, our boys and our, our, our extra kids and our new, new blessing that God has. I wouldn't be doing any of that. Yeah, man, give God praise for that. Come on, man. If he's a boy, we're naming him Isaac. Somebody say amen. Y'all get it? Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, I know. Everybody's praying for a girl. I know. Hey, it'd be cool. It'd be cool either way. I'm ready. I'm ready because I trust in his timing. But I wouldn't get to do any of those things. See, if not for Jesus, I wouldn't get to be a husband or a father. I wouldn't get to be a, a, a cousin that, that's able to, to care for some awesome kids. I wouldn't get to be a coach or, 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 or the pastor of this church. I wouldn't get to stand and preach the gospel. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd already be gone. I'd be dead. I'd be destroyed. I'd be nothing. I'd be less than nothing if it wasn't for Jesus. But because of him, I have everything. Because of him, I have everything. I have restored back to me everything that that took and so much more, man. The story of Job brings so true in my heart and in my ears. In my heart and my ears because, you know, God gives and God takes away. But, man, at the end of the day, we know that God is good and he is merciful and he is powerful and he is filled with grace and he's filled with love and he's filled with glory. And he did not withhold even his own son from us. Man, what a powerful God that we serve. What a merciful, amazing, graceful God that we serve. He did not withhold his own son even from a rebellious, stiff-necked bunch of people like us. Because that's the kind of loving God that he is. And he knows everything that we've ever done in our lives. And still he loves us. He knows every time that we have abandoned him, every time we forsake him, every time that we rebelled against him, he knows. And he knew it was coming and still he loved you anyway. Man, still he loved you. He knew every time that you were going to sin, every time that you were going to smell like a big skunk or a little one, he knew. He knew. He knew. And still he sent his son. To be that tomato bath for your soul. Somebody say amen, man. <laughs> by the blood of Christ, we are redeemed. We are redeemed. We are reconciled. We are restored back to the garden. Back to perfection. Come on, guys. I'm... 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says this. And I know we harp on this verse all the time, but it may be, it may be the most important one in all of Scripture. It may be. And they're all important, but this one, it may be the most powerful verse in all of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says that, that he that knew no sin, you, you hear me? 
He that knew no sin became sin so that you and me and anybody that would listen could become the righteousness of God. That we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ gave up everything so that we could live. Jesus Christ gave himself to become sin. Man, it wasn't just the nails. It wasn't just the nails. It wasn't just the crown of thorns that he wore on his head. Man, it wasn't just the whip. It wasn't just the spear. He, he, he went up Calvary's hill carrying with him the weight of our sin. The big ones, the tiny ones, and everything in between. As much as this, as much as this tortured him and hurt him, That had to hurt him more. See, it wasn't the Romans that crucified Jesus, even though they did the physical work. Pontius Pilate washed his hands of it. And it wasn't just the Jews, even though they shouted crucify him. No, it wasn't just them. You know, during Easter time, a lot of people put a lot of pressure on the Jews for crucifying our Savior. It wasn't their fault. You know who put Jesus on that cross? I did. You know who pounded those nails into his wrists and his feet? I did. Every time I've lied, every time I've stolen, every time I've cursed the name of God, Every time I've not lived up to the glory of God that he made possible in me. Every lash was mine. Every thorn was mine. As he struggled to take that last breath, it was me that was the weight on his chest. before him I think this was talked about last week he did it for the joy that was set before him and surrendered himself to death even death on a cross did it for me did it for you knowing what kind of messed up people we were going to be Knowing it was going to take 10 and 15 and 150 chances for us to get it right. Knowing that some of us would never get it right. And he did it anyway. And you know what? He doesn't have to because like I said, it's been done once and for all. But given the opportunity, I know my Savior well enough to speak for him today. Given the opportunity, he'd do it again. He'd do it again. That's the kind of God that we serve. He died as the propitiation, the atonement for your sins. And then he rose again to prove it was true.